She was glad that Isaac had not been cremated. She had wanted a place for the boys to visit their father. Mozazu visited the grave often, and before Noah disappeared, he had come with her too. Had they talked to him too, she wondered? It had never occurred to her to ask them this, and now it was too late. Lately, every time she went to the cemetery, she wondered what Isaac would have thought of Noah's death. Isaac would have understood Noah's suffering. He would have known what to say to him. Noah had been cremated by his wife, so there was no grave to visit him. Suja talked to Noah when she was alone. Sometimes, something very simple, like a delicious piece of pumpkin taffy, would make her sorry that now that she had money, she couldn't buy him something that he had loved as a child. Sorry, Noah. Sorry. It had been 11 years since he died. The pain didn't go away, but its sharp edge had dulled and softened like sea glass. Sunja hadn't gone to Noah's funeral. He hadn't wanted his wife and children to know about her, and she had done enough already. If she hadn't visited him the way she had, maybe he might still be alive. Hanzu had not gone to the funeral either. Noah would have been 56 years old. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Let to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie, or in this case, the TV series more than the book. We are recording this episode on Sunday, June 2nd, 2022, and today we are discussing the third chapter of our little book here for Pachinko, episodes uh, six through eight. I am your host, Will, and today with me to talk about the final episodes in this adaptation is the North Korea sympathizer, Yakuza trainee, and future Pachinko parlor owner, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people. What's up, everyone? Sorry for my voice. I have been uh, training with the Yakuza, and uh, they do a little thing with your vocal cords. Uh, I won't go into it. They told me not to go into it, but it does this. <laughs> is it my mind to- is intact. My body is, is a little frail. I do know that after uh, maybe one or two beers, after knowing you for so long, that this happened. So maybe is it sort of like a hazing situation that's happening with the Yakuza? I can't. I'm not at liberty to discuss I see. anything further. I see. You signed an NDA? You don't actually sign anything. It's, uh, it's, it's more of like a blood covenant. Oh. So I've said too much. <laughs> I've said too much. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that endeavor. Um, you know, it's going to tie into our episode a little bit later today, uh, or this evening, actually. This is a Little Lens After Dark joint. It's after 8 p.m. Uh, on Thursday here. So we are both uh, drinks in hand and ready to talk about Pachinko and all of its successes and faults and failures. Um, a lot of suffering. Well, a, a lot of suffering. I think, like, the, the plight of the Korean people is very much, like, unlocked by this book i didn't fully realize like how bad uh korea has had it in the last hundred years yeah so well, in, my condolences to, to, to korea to all of korea both koreas yeah just to everybody not everybody. the north koreans i think we made this we talked about this the first first episode <laughs> of our trilogy but yeah any, anybody south of that parallel uh my condolences to you anyone yes. north of it you well. think you made the wrong choice a long time ago yeah, as um, as Americans, we tend to not really care about other people, so we just think about our own problems. And have yeah, our own I mean, we have a history so. with Japan too, you know. That's it's, true. Uh, I, I guess we have a history with everybody. That's just sort of like what being an American is all about. And speaking of Korea, let's talk a little bit about the book and the ancestry uh, of the author. Let's not talk about the ancestry of the author, but she's obviously from South Korea. Right, but let's talk about the book and how the experience was reading it. It's a it's a heavy book, right? It's got a lot going on for it. 
in terms of guilt and shame and emotions. Um, did you feel any of that? Did you like any of that? Were you put off by any of that? Um, just talk up generally about your experience reading it. I I feel like every time we have these episodes, we say sort of the same thing, or at least I do, which is like I knocked out 50 pages and then I put it down for a long time. And then I picked it back up and I knocked out 50 pages and then I put it down again. And it's not like this book, I mean, this book definitely is like heavy and dark and filled with like sadness, heavy sadness. But it's also like not a downer, I would say. You know, you're not going to read this book well, you might read this book and feel bad for like humanity and for Koreans, but I would say like on the day to day, when you read this, it's like kind of a, a cool read. It's like a propulsive read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sometimes like the weight of history, uh, hurts. I don't know. So overall, I yeah. feel like I, I kind of knocked this out, but then I, I like read it over the course of two months and I'm like, how did, how did that happen also? Yeah. I mean, I had this very similar reading experience. I finished it this afternoon um, I would go like a week or so without reading it and then have to read a bunch of it and then put it down again. Um, <clears throat> not because I wasn't enjoying it or not because I wasn't interested in it, but for me, it was heavy at times and it did drag on at times with the amount of shame that people would feel and the amount of, uh, like putting your shame or other people's shame you know, onto them. And it was just like, this is, you know, this is not necessarily enjoyable read, which is, you know, which is fine, which is kind of the point of the book, history and their lives are not really enjoyable at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say my experience with it was sort of similar to yours was put it up, pick it up, put it down, you know, cruise through it. It wasn't necessarily a difficult read in the sense of like, have to reread parts and understanding things. It was more like, man, this is like these these characters are dealing with a lot and you're sort of, you know, going through this experience with them. So it's sort of a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. And one of the struggles I have with this book is the, like one of the central relationships between Sunja and Hansu is like almost totally unrequited over the course of 50 years and 500 pages. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's just like the uh, Yakuza sympathizer in me, but I'm like, I'm always here and ready for you as the author or the creator to deploy like a Yakuza man and just like of course. S- put him in the scene, let him like do things. I mean, half of this book is about like the CD, you know, possibly CD like things that Korean like business people do, whether they be mm-hmm. Yakuza or that's Japanese, but whether like mm-hmm. that or like pachinko men who, you know, basically fudge games to win and are possibly controlled by, other outside like financial forces um i don't know like it was it was hard to know that that guy was out here and to see him sidelined for so long i know it makes sense and like the you know sunja gave her heart to him very early on and he totally just upended her world by getting her pregnant and then telling her he has a a wife and three girls like in japan Mm -hmm. and for the rest of the book she's just like fuck off and you're like, oh, but isn't it at some point he's going to be like, at some point she's going to say like, that's fine. Come back to me. But no, she doesn't. And so you're like sort of waiting mm-hmm. for this, waiting for this, waiting for this. And he's he's such an interesting character because he comes from this like just shit eating, grungy, dangerous world. 
and you just kind of like want to be in to that and she really draws this like creates this like really thick wall between the two of them and it's like oh bring him back but then i'm like oh i understand why he can't be here but i want him back mm-hmm. yeah it's funny we only get sort of the glitz and the glam of his lifestyle we don't know much about his underdealings and we don't know much about his criminal enterprise or criminal uh, endeavors at all we just know that he's yakuza and he's very wealthy and he's I think they say at the end of one of the or the chapters in the book that he runs like the second largest Yakuza family in in Japan, I think. So, <clears throat> but yeah, you're right. There's this big wall that sort of shuts him out as as readers as well as the characters in the book, um, and we don't get any of that. And that's obviously done on purpose, right? They want to showcase the stories of like these good people, even though that they are you know, looked down, you know, quote unquote, looked down upon by Japanese and, and other people, even Koreans, uh, when they go back to visit, they're not considered real Korean. Um, so they don't really have this, <clears throat> this place in society. Um, but yeah, I would have liked to, you know, at least dip our toes in to the Yakuza a little bit. Um, but we didn't, so. You know who does is Tim Cook. We'll get into that later. I feel like he, Tim Cook's big, like, he's he wants to show us more Hansu, I think. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think the, yeah, we will. the show was more happy with him than the book is. Do you think Tim Cook is uh, maybe part part of the Yakuza, like the American version, the American chapter? How far does it stretch? I mean, it's global. Oh. Isn't it? I, I think you have, to, uh, you have to question everything, right? I think that's a good uh, mentality to have. Um, so, for, I mean, how did you feel about part three? Because for me, I sort of felt like the the book ran out of, for me, it ran out a little bit of steam as we transitioned mm-hmm. fully into like the Solomon, Hana, Itsuko, Mozazu, like specific mm-hmm. section, which is what part three is. Um, we had spent so much time with, you know, Sunja and Yoseb and um, Yoseb's wife that like even like the first two parts were like very much about that nuclear family and then part three mm-hmm. we sort of like skip over the sons kind of sort of and really focus on Solomon and for me I don't know the like Solomon Hannah uh, like youth growing up that like mm-hmm. story I didn't it wasn't like as propulsive as some of the other parts of this book I like that part. I like the Solomon and Hannah um, portion of it. I, I actually really enjoyed the Noah Mozazu growing up. Um, I don't know. I like actually, actually really, I think I enjoyed part three. I enjoyed the part where, you know, Hansu tries to re sort of integrate himself back into the family when he realizes he's doing so well and he gets into Waseda University, which is like, I guess, one of the top universities in Japan. And he, like, already paid for his tuition as, as they're coming to ask for a loan. I don't know. I really like that part. Um, I just did not really sympathize with Noah's character at all. Uh, so I didn't really like reading about him. And I was actually totally fine with him leaving. <laughs> like, not being part of the narrative as much. I was, like, sort of, like, I don't know. I was just, like, I was almost kind of upset at him for making that decision. Um, sorry, as my dog is rummaging through uh, a crate or a box over there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I actually really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed figuring out how 
Mazazu was going to figure it out. And um, a lot of the tertiary characters, I don't really re remember that much. Like his, I remember his first wife got into a car accident mm -hmm. and died um, with Solomon in the car, but he survived. And then he had some, there were some tertiary characters around it, which I don't remember much of, but actually, I think I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then Noah, you mentioned, goes to university and then does really well for a time, gets this like kind of, the book I think calls her like a pretty annoying like girlfriend who is, yeah. I think the one that kind of makes him see that Hansu is indeed his father. And it just like sets him off on this downward spiral where he tries as best as he can to assimilate as like a Japanese in Japan and mm -hmm. he helps not run, but he, he helps, he works at a bajinko for a time. He takes the Japanese wife. He has like Japanese children. Nobody knows that he's Korean. He does like a very, yeah. very good Japanese impression for years and years and years and years. And I think the way historians actually, I, so I sort of like take it back. I think the kids are, I like the kids a lot. The way historians I thought was like really nice. His, him committing suicide? Yes. Well, I don't think that's like a nice thing to happen, but like I, I thought it made, I thought it was really good because it gave me the like Hansu like bust down the wall that's between him and Sunja and their kid they share finally gets himself back in like her life and his life. Sunja wants that kind of to be connected with Noah again. And uh, Noah wants no part of them. And upon like seeing them again for the first time in 15 years or more, uh, shoots himself. Yeah, I don't know. I have a, like a lot of feelings about his character. Um, I think it. I don't know. I just can't relate to the amount of guilt and shame that somebody must feel. Um, from that situation, I, I don't know. I'm not. You know, I'm not Korean. Maybe it's different in the culture, but like, it felt. I mean, it was obviously devastating. Um, and it, I, I think it makes for a good novel. I just like, I don't know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Like, you're really going to kill yourself for for these reasons that are, like, so minuscule, I feel like. I don't know. Not minuscule, but, like, it doesn't derail your life in any way. Yeah, but he did, like, pretend to be Japanese for 15 years. I mean, he really, mm -hmm. he really just overrode his life to be something different because he was ashamed of what he was. And I think to like be, to see that reflected back at you, I can, I, I, you know, I, I sort of like get it. And I thought it was really good. I don't, I thought it was like mm. really good plotting and writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly fits in with his character in the story. Um, it certainly severs that tie and ends that relationship with Sunjin and Kohansu for, forever. And I don't think they see each other for like I think it was, they said it was like 11 years when they were at a different was it a different funeral I think is it I remember. Hannah's funeral or is it someone else's no, funeral no it wasn't hers somebody else's maybe, I can't remember is it Yosef's but, um, maybe that's I think that's right I think that's right um and they basically have nothing to, nothing to say and talk about but um yeah so I don't know I, I enjoyed it I I you know the, the the Hannah part I mean the Hannah part in the in the TV show we'll get into this like really threw me off and like it still threw me off in the book like it's a little bit different um the way they introduce it and stuff but man she's not a good person yeah i guess we can, we can say that in the book at least she's very she kind of takes after her mother and that she's like very sexual um mm -hmm. and she starts a relationship like a forced relationship with solomon when he's like 15 and she's 17 
um, as a way to like ostensibly like teach him how to have sex, but like is is more of a power play or I don't yeah. know. Some I read it as like a like a power play or like a like an ego boost for her. Yeah, somebody she could like sort of manipulate and have you know have him do things for her, whatever. Yeah, because she takes his like allowance and it's like yeah you you can give me yeah. this money. So it's almost <clears> like he's more money. paying for sex in a in like a roundabout way. Um, yeah. it's kind of, it's uncomfortable and it's, you know, she has, she, then she runs away is, is gone for some time working in like clubs and different like dance parlors. Um, yeah, yeah. and then it's revealed that she has AIDS, um, and, and dies shortly thereafter. It is like, mm-hmm. I guess we can talk more about her in the TV show, but, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the worst person. Yeah. I don't So I wanted to ask you who you thought you uh like which character did you like the most maybe one that you empathize the most with or sympathize the most with did you have one that you enjoyed reading the most whatever well as a yakuza no um (laughs) somebody to look up to yeah i i I found myself really uh drawn to the like sunya section sunja sections when she is at like the fish market when she's like Mm -hmm. selling um kimchi and her other like i think she makes candy for a time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. when she's like hawking her goods i think I, yeah. I like those pages especially uh otherwise like i kind of did like the noah in college stuff i think you mentioned you like that mm-hmm. as well um mm-hmm. and it was unfortunate how his life turned but i think those two sections yeah. really sort of uh flowed for me I definitely agree with the Sunja um, where she's like figuring it out and making kimchi to sort of make ends meet working in, and then eventually get the job in the um, the restaurant that's owned by Kohansu. Yeah. But um, I really liked that part. And then I actually really, really liked Solomon's part. Um, maybe it's because I just read it <laughs> today. But like I really empathized with his perspective on like he has all these characters around him who feel shame in one way or another or are like putting these generalizations onto, you know, the Japanese or like his, his, his uh, girlfriend, Phoebe, who is who we met at university in, in New York City is uh, is Korean by dis, by descent, but not she didn't grow up there. She grew up in the US. Yeah, she's like Korean American. Yeah. So she, you know, they they live in they believe it's Tokyo or somewhere in Japan for uh, a little bit and she's putting all these generalizations on Japanese people and she's like why are you not more upset they like they hate Koreans blah 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 and I don't know I just love his perspective on like it doesn't like it doesn't matter like unless you make it a thing like it, it it's not really affecting me um I'm just not gonna worry about it I just like I thought that was sort of a I don't know I feel like it made sense in this narrative of the story to have that as like the last perspective because it's more of like a modern perspective, I think, to have that um, sort of ushering in this new age or this new generation of um, of Koreans or Asian Asian people, maybe in general, um, or just you know people in general having this like non generalization uh, viewpoint of cultures and just like letting it be as it is and not like worrying about it. So I'll take, I will, I'll take that, and I will offer you. The idea that I almost think that I think you're right that that is this modern point of view, but I almost feel like 
it's a failure because, you know, for each like previous generation, one of their main driving forces is to like get the next line, like a little bit better, like do, do a little bit better for your kids. Um, and then ultimately like Solomon in the book winds up working for his dad's pachinko. And it's sort of like the cycle just continues with Solomon, even though he had, you know, he was sent to America to learn at this, like, you know, at these international schools, make international friends. But even when he like gets his job at whatever Travis bank, the investment bank, uh, you know, he still experiences racism from Italians and from Japanese and from anyone he sees. And despite like this worldly person he's become, he still winds up working for his dad's pachinko. And I, I think that was like, it was kind of, it's, it's a little bit sad because it's just like the, you know, the cycle continues again. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that is, uh, that's a totally fair, like a uh, perspective on that story. I like, I, I, I just don't think it was a, f- like certainly he got screwed over by Kazu or Kuzu, whoever it was, like the Japanese guy who was his boss, who basically led him to fix this deal for him. And the deal falls through because the woman dies um, and they don't want it to be as, you know, they don't want uh, police sniffing around or they don't want it to think like, oh, they killed her for it, basically. Um, and he's fired for it. So he's basically screwed out of a deal. But it's basically, it's kind of unlucky. Like, I almost don't even blame uh, the Japanese guy and the Kazu or Kuzu, I can't remember his name, in that situation. Because it's like, well, I understand that could look really bad for your business. Um, the yak stink. Yeah, the yak stink, as they call it. Um, I didn't really see it as a failure because I think he sort of, he came to peace with, like, who he was and he wasn't, like, trying to prove anything to anybody. Um, like, he wasn't trying to prove anything to the Japanese people, to the Italians or the Americans. Um, like, maybe as he had been before when he was in New York and, and elsewhere. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe that is, like, a sad thing that's sort of, like, this is his plot in life, but... Um, I don't know. I thought it was sort of, yeah, fuck yeah, do your pachinko business and make it go to Cabo and Las Vegas and Macau and Bangkok. Like, let's get some money. I like this. I, I like this glass half full. I like your glass half full and I'm glass half empty. Yeah. I think that's well, it. I do need a, I do need to refill <laughs> my wine glass. That's a so. good emblematic uh, view of this podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, it took me a while to get through, but you know, this is how, it, this is how it goes. Books are, books are long. Book, books are long. You heard it here first. <laughs> Breaking <clears throat> news. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anything you want else wanted to say about the book or. I guess, well, we have a second question here. Do you want me to ask you the second question? No, I, I, feel, I actually feel like we kind of covered all that stuff, you know, how, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, That's fair. I, I will, maybe we should just touch on the ending briefly. Um, mm-hmm. the book ends with Sunja still alive. There's a, there's a call I missed in episode two for those who are listening back to back, um, going to Isaac's grave, who's her husband who, you know, was taken by the police and dumped back on their doorstep in terrible shape and died. Um, she goes back to his grave realizes from one of the 
graveyard workers that her son Noah had been coming to Isaac's grave for 15 years and just like sitting and paying his respects. Um, I don't know. I, I, and, and I, I, upon learning that she then buries a picture of Noah, like at the gravesite, And that's just sort of how the, the story ends. And I, I think it's kind of like a, a sweet ending that shows, you know, for as much as this book is about like blood and how blood, you know, metaphorically transfers between generations and, you know, dirty blood stays dirty and that kind of thing. Um, it was sort of a recollection that sometimes like family is what you make it. He's, even though Noah is not Isaac's blood, um, he still considered him his father to be visiting him for those many years. Um, and so I thought that was just sort of a nice like flip from what we've been hearing from everyone else, which is basically just like your blood is tainted. So you're, uh, like trash for this being like, no, I've actually chosen who I want to be based on like this person who set a good example. Mm -hmm. So happiness, some happiness there. (laughs) Yes. Hooray for happiness. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really good ending, um, to a somewhat, you know, uh, you know, uh, emotionally up and down novel. Um, and a lot of times there are lots of lows in, in the book. And this is certainly uh, a high because, you know, after Noah left, I mean, we weren't even really, even when Noah was around, it seemed like Mozazu was more of like an, uh, more of a character that was prominent in the story. Cause he was always around when Noah was around. He was always more, had more personality. He was always doing more stuff because Noah was always in his books and, and all that studying to, be, to go to university and be a, like a, you know, a good boy, a good, um, good student. And we don't really get that much of him, but the fact that like, you know, he did this at the end, we know we found out that he did this at the end just shows like the, that it, it just sort of disproves, like you just said, like the, the bloodline is the only thing that matters. Like it's, know clearly not he was he even though he didn't think he was a pure person he clearly was um and i don't agree with a lot of things that he did but um he did it for his reasons which he thought was pure and you can certainly argue that um yeah and i thought it was a very satisfying ending to the book yeah um and sunja's you know finally letting him go even though she's in her 80s i guess late 80s yeah something um, but I suppose you don't yeah, really get over that kind of thing very she's easily. She's been suffering for how, like, 30 years? She, you know, hadn't heard from him in 30 years or whatever? Yeah. Hadn't seen him? Yeah. Can you imagine? That's as long as you've been I alive. I mean, I know you're not a mother, but, like... I mean, that's as long as you've been alive, you know? Granted, like, yeah. you just, I don't know, your brain, like, doesn't really start to remember things until you get a little bit older. So it's not like mm-hmm. you've been remembering alive for 30 years but still that's a long it feels like forever and it's like she's she's like 89 that we're a th- you're a third of the way there i'm surprised she didn't kill herself i mean the fact that noah killed himself oh and she's God. still trucking like good for her but yeah that's the sake no, great. that's the sake talking well yeah sorry <laughs> but great book would definitely recommend it um if you haven't read it already um, anything else you want to mention? Let's keep it moving. We are going to take a quick commercial break and we will be right back. This episode of the Little Lens Podcast is brought to you by the British-based investment bank, Travis Brothers. 
At Travis Brothers, we take our projects seriously. Whether it's maximizing our investors' returns or leveraging our associates' possible Yakuza connections to scam little old Korean ladies out of their homes. Travis Brothers is committed to ethical financial practices and supports new development, particularly leisure projects like golf courses, despite any Korean residents who may already reside in these high-interest areas. If you're looking for a high-energy, fast-paced workplace with a narrow focus on removing Korean landowners from the island of Japan, then Travis Brothers is the organization for you. Apply today and get started expelling Koreans tomorrow. And we are back. Thank you for that brief word from our sponsor, the Travis Brothers. Um, I will say I have not done business with them, but I will in the future because I think they're good, honest people, um, as most financial people are, I feel like. They are the backbone of the global economy, and I don't know. They get a bad rap. I think they're great. So, Yeah. They have never caused a global recession. Never. It's always been poor uh, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's always their fault. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, that's, I think that's why we didn't like this book. It was like too much destitution. <laughs> too many poor people. And I was just, not yeah. enough. Uh, I was like, where are the double-breasted like white suits? Oh, they're on Kohansu. That's they were guy. too scared to show us how much money the Yakuza really make. Yeah. To deter us. I mean, you probably, the Yakuza were like watching the show like very interestingly and being just like, yeah. Um, did you, have you started the offer on, um, oh, is it Showtime? This is, uh, no, Paramount Plus. Oh, this Teller joint? No. Yeah. Where they're making The Godfather. Is it good? Uh, it's very bro But part of it is like the Irish American like league. It's a thing they created during like right before the godfather came out is is like monitoring the production of the movie so that they don't all seem like gangsters and it's just kind of oh, funny like, well the mob in new york is making sure that the godfather movie isn't too gangstery it's like all right well <laughs> <Chill out. laughs> don't you see don't you see um no i've not seen it but but i think i will I think I want to watch it. You said it was super broy, so that means I have to watch it now. I mean, it's Miles Teller, man. It's, uh, is it also? He's got one speed. Is it also created by Doug Allen? No, God, can That's you imagine? It'd be the best. No, it's got the um, the main love interest from Ted Lasso, Keely. Oh. The name of the actress, mm-hmm. I forget. So. That's too bad. Doug Allen didn't do it. I feel like he would be great at it. But he's busy. Dude, he's making he's making a TV show with Charlie Sheen. Well, he's also got his podcast, right? Yeah. So I mean, that, I think that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> he started a podcast five years after Little End, mind you, and he's working with a movie and working on a TV show with Charlie Sheen. Sounds like he's doing great. So, Doug Allen, if you want to come on the pod, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> I'm gonna ask. By him. the way, are you getting James be. Franco on the pod? Is this confirmed? <laughs> no. <laughs> he declined. He declined. He declined. Oh, that's too bad. When he's not canceled, we'll, we'll get him on. When he's uncanceled. Is that the term? I think so. I suppose so, right? When it, it's just, I mean, at this point, it's just like people forget. Yeah. And then they like, they're allowed to be back in movies and TV shows. I feel shows. like we would be a great spot for it because we're so underground that like my, not many people will pick us up. But if they do, it'd be great for us. It'd be great for business. Yeah. So I feel like we should do it. off off brand like Joe Rogan. Yeah. I think that's like <laughs> that's the that's the, the inner intellectual circle of Joe Rogan. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, anyway. let's get this back on track. <laughs> Anyways, not comparing ourselves to Joe Rogan here. But um, so obviously we finished the book and we finished the series. Um, series was eight episodes long. Apple TV Plus uh, for some of us, although although one of our one of the two of us did not watch on Apple TV Plus, they did something else, which may or may not be legal slash illegal. But that's totally fine. We're not here to judge. We're here to discuss. So, Eric, what did you think of the final three episodes? Well, they, I thought they were interesting. Um, we'll get into the differences here in a second, but they are pretty different. Um, sorry for my squeaky. I just feel I feel my squeaky voice. They're they're pretty different, um, and I think the ending, as we just talked about, Solomon like gives his story an entirely different like arc. Um, that we'll talk about, you know, as we talk about like potential future seasons. Um, obviously, like the the a thousand pound gorilla in the room is episode seven mm-hmm. here, which is a I guess you would call it a bottle episode, um, where Koganata does like Koganata things and basically just directs an hour long, forty five minute to an hour long like escape from a volcano eruption. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty intense, pretty cool. It gives you the Kohansu backstory, which doesn't exist in the book. Um, it gives me... So randomly, Will, I watched a movie several months ago called San Francisco, which is streaming on HBO James Max. Franco? I think it was... In a, no, 1930, Clark Gable, the original James Sorry. Franco. Were- <laughs> Clark Gable. And it's basically about the like 1901, 1902 San Francisco earthquake. Oh. And, like, all these people escaping from, like, death and destruction. Was it good? And I was like, no, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay. I, I like old movies, but this movie, I, it just was, like, Clark Gable can be kind of um, hit or miss. Oh, okay. Like, he's very aggressive. Hmm. Like, very, very In aggressive. In your face. Yeah. Um, but anyway, similar vibes to this. It was just basically, like, a get-out-of-town bottle episode mm-hmm. i kind of liked it um uh, but overall i think um i want to i want to say some thoughts for the end mm-hmm. here as well but i was both like perfectly whelmed and i liked the ending and i also thought that a lot of the story covered here was like purposefully non like climactic and it like purposely didn't end anything it was, and I know we're, we're like conditioned in this day and age to watch the final episode of a TV season and think like, okay, something is going to happen and that will change a lot of things for the next season or whatever. There's, there's a finale and something happens. And in, in this finale in episode eight, nothing kind of, I mean, something happens, but like nothing, nothing really happens. Yeah. And it just felt like we're kicking the we're just kicking the can to season two. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna say like as this series has gone on, I, I've I've grown uh, less affinity for it. Uh, I will say my favorite episode was was the Kohansu. By like the one that had nothing to do with the correct, story by like a country mile because that's I mean honestly I, I just can't. I can't watch eight hours of three intercut narratives that like need backstory. They need relation to each other. 
and they're just sort of they're on their own plane and they we just cut between decades and I was at a certain point I was just like I'm just lost like I'm not really sure what this short story has to do with the one that we just saw like I I don't know I I really just like was like when is this over like when can we when can we figure out what Kohansu is doing next I don't know I like the the Hannah story as I was reading it uh the Hannah and Solomon story I think I mentioned in our first or second episode where I was like, what is going on here? Aren't they, aren't they brother or sister? Like, why is there this weird sexual tension between them? Those questions are not answered in this, in the TV, in the first season. Uh, but they're certainly answered in the book. And if you just give us that information, uh, up front, right. We under, like, we can understand why there's this weird sexual tension between them and why he's so interested in her. Like, otherwise, it's just like a fallen narrative. It's a fallen segment in a in a in an eight hour long story, and the the Kohansu episode, which has nothing to do with the book at all, was like great. I don't. I mean, we stay with one character the whole time. We get to find out all this information about him. It was sort of like a sympathy episode because I feel like in the book, we are just banging on Kohansu like, fuck him, fuck him, fuck him, fuck him. Uh, and not as maybe not as much in the TV show, but this felt like a a good opportunity to tell the story of the earthquake, right? That killed I can't remember how many people that they mentioned. Hundred thousand people, like ah, devastating. Um, and you get to like score some sympathy points for your lead, basically, right? Like, kind of makes sense from a maybe a promotional commercial point of view. Um, but it was also interesting. So I don't, I don't know. I just wanted to get that off my chest in the beginning uh, just to get your reaction. I, so it's... I listened to a podcast <clears throat> where... Uh, it's called Script Notes. If people are interested in, in this, they might be interested in that. It's a podcast about screenwriting and things that are interesting to screenwriters. Um, and they had on Liz Merriweather and Liz Hanna, who... Um, Liz Merriweather obviously is a new girl and she also wrote The Dropout on Hulu which is the um, Theranos story but they were talking about like in today's age streamers basically want you to make eight episodes of TV because they can sell eight episodes of TV anywhere in the world anything fewer than eight is like not worth their time not worth their money not worth their investment and unless you have like andrew garfield in your show and he can only do seven episodes like all these streamers don't want that so ever since i've heard that i've just been looking at these like prestige limited series and thinking like you didn't fucking need eight episodes you made eight episodes because you had to have eight episodes and episode seven here is is like exactly that there's that that episode is basically like we had seven episodes we needed an eighth we're like parking the story we're telling we're just giving you 45 to whatever 50 minutes of earthquake yeah and that is it and as i just watched it and i was like okay well this is great but also they just needed eight <laughs> episodes so that's the cynic in me yeah. um i think your point about the like intercutting is totally accurate because i feel like we've talked about this in earlier in each of the previous episodes um and because we liked it initially 
And I think the project of doing it for that long, I mean, it really, it, it like really becomes hard to tell what is happening, what occurred between the jumps. Like you can go from 1938 to 1989 to 1938 again to 1989. And like the story has jumped in a way that it's like really hard to follow. Like the whole Hannah, like having AIDS thing went from Solomon at the end of one episode, like getting a phone call in his office saying like, I need your help to like her basically being in a hospital bed immediately after that. And it was like, I mean, what, what's, what happened? That's the connection. Um, It's like the only connection. Yeah. It's very frantic. Uh, and I think like where it worked early, early on, I still think to some degree it works, you know, it's very, I mean, we talked about like the purpose is very much to say like, here's one character doing a thing. Here's another character doing a thing look and see how they are similar mm-hmm. and it, it can be effective it can also be like very uh destabilizing and confusing for a viewer who's not ready to just like fucking hit the gas and go from one scene to the next to the next to the next to the next, to the next. I, yeah i mean i i do think that that narrative can work uh in like a few different ways there's like if we are going to do it in this way we need to spend more time than just, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time with, with one character and then switching to a whole other character in a totally different decade with totally new people around them in a totally different situation, right? We need to sort of build the context first and then layer the story on top of it. Otherwise, you have, like, what I just said before, like the Hannah and Solomon confusion, like, what is going on here, right? Uh, it, it certainly sparks interest, right? That's probably why it was put there with that, with no context, but then it doesn't explain it later. It's like, okay, well, what are we doing here? What's the point of that then? You're just sparking interest in a random episode in the season. But I want to sh- like mention one movie that I think does it really well, which is a lit to lens joint, is Cloud Alice. You have this like, you have these six different narratives and they are, you live with each of these characters for a long time at each point. It's a, like a three hour movie. So there's room to breathe here. But you, the the reason it works is there's a payoff at the end where it's almost like a a montage might be the wrong word, but basically they, there's this like music playing and it builds up and you get these all these scenes coming to a narrative head, right? Uh, like t- you know, the Tom Hanks character in the future is battling with people and he's coming to a head, and another character in the past is coming to a head. It's all happening sort of at once, right? But it's all in different timelines. That sort of payoff is, for my for my opinion, is like worth it. It's like you get this little montage, you get this like satisfactory like feeling at the end of it. Um, but that with this episode, you just don't get it. And you have a, episode seven, which is like, what are we like? What, what's happening? Why didn't we just do episode seven for each episode? Right. right. Like why did we? Yeah. Why didn't we just do that the whole time? It's it's one of those things where <clears throat> there's there's probably a fine balance to lay or whatever fine balance a fine balance to find um, with like how smart this sounds like a little mean but how smart you think the audience is because if you show like Isaac for twenty minutes and then Solomon for twenty minutes do you connect the dots that like these two people are similar in a certain sense, or do you really need them to have intercut scenes just to fucking nail the point home? I, I feel like you, I feel like you do. Like 
as a person who like doesn't really like this narrative, I need those scenes, those connector scenes to sort of hit the point home for me. Almost like hit me on the head, like, hey dummy, like, did you get it? Kind but of you thing. just But also you you're saying you don't like it. So it's it's almost like because well, they didn't do that. You, they didn't do they didn't do that. Are you saying that they did do it or they didn't do it? Well I feel like they did do it in a like a yeah. in, in in big scenes. In some scenes they did, but I feel like you need to do that maybe more often. Or almost almost every time, almost every time. Interesting. Yeah, I mean. Okay, so you you would be more you're more pro like make it clear versus like make me work to figure out. Yeah, because listen, like we all have jobs, right? We we work eight <laughs> hours of eight hours a day. I'm not going to spend eight extra hours trying to figure out. Although this is kind of like our hobby job, we don't make any money from it, obviously. But shout out to our Patreon. We can, you can always send us a little shout cash. out to the Yakuza, <laughs> big sponsors. But like, I'm not going to do the mental gymnastics of like figuring out the relationship with every single scene. I just want to like casually watch and under, try to understand what's going on, relate to these characters, and like have a good time. I'm not trying to you know, break down every single scene and what, you know, what is the motivation of each character and how does it relate to like the motivation of each character in the 1980s? Like, I don't know. Either hammer, hammer it home for me. And this is just me. Like, you know, I could, I might be an outlier or whatever, but like, do that more often or don't do it at all. Do, has Game of Thrones I taught us if it's nothing? Just be... Like Game of Thrones did a well, great job of like giving each character their moment like they did with Kohansu. Right. Yeah. And they made it very clear, like, here's where we're going to go in this episode. Here are the credits. This is where we're moving on the chessboard. I, I, I do, I think it's interesting, and it's, it's sort of, like, above the text of the show and book. But to think of, like, with Game of Thrones, there was an entire industry that was created to explain to you what the fuck was happening in every single second of that show. Like, that kind of stuff didn't exist. We were talking about this before the show. Like, Vulture, which is, I think, a part of NY Mag, almost, like, exists because it writes recaps of every single episode of every single show that anybody could possibly ever want to fucking watch. And that is a thing that did not exist before Game of Thrones. Mm. So you, I, you sort of have to wonder if, like, part of the reason to do this, like, intercutting work is because you sort of know that you're not going to be the like zeitgeist show zeit did i say that right the zeitgeist show you're not going to be the show that like is a water cooler show i think you know, especially on apple with its few subscribers like there's not going to be enough conversation for people to write recaps and write theories and make the connections for the viewer yeah. it is it is so niche and it because it is so niche is it is it worth it to like do a little more work explaining what's happening to make it that much more like palatable for the average viewer versus, you know, if you are Game of Thrones and this is <laughs> hold everything, you're the number one show, like fuck the viewer, like do what you want to do until they, you know, fuck the viewer until season whatever, seven or eight, and you know, fuck you. But um, do you have more leeway to just do whatever you want because people will figure it out themselves because they're they're like committed to doing that and in pachinko probably they're not committed to doing that yeah i mean i was gonna as i was reading um i was sort of i was sort of thinking like i was trying to compare it to game of thrones and i was thinking like why didn't they just do it 
like they did it with like narrative wise just like one like as the book like just you know a to z um and i was thinking i was like well there's not really stakes there are no stakes at least certainly not like there are in game of thrones uh certainly it doesn't feel that way it's more about the characters and their internal struggle struggles or external struggles for that matter with like the society around them and not necessarily like who's vying for power who is cutting somebody's throat or you know sticking a blade in the back of somebody to like reach the, the top spot whatever so in that respect it's certainly a way different story but I feel like if you are telling a niche story like this with characters who are who have these internal struggles like this, it's actually more important to do it that way because you have more time with the character um, in one sitting. You get to like empathize with that more. I can't empathize with somebody I see on screen for 15 minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, and then I move on to somebody else that I'm supposed to empathize with. I can't empathize with all of these characters at once. Let me sit with somebody for an hour, 45 minutes, and get to know them like Kohansu, right? Like, I'll, I'll tell you right now, Kohansu is, is my favorite character in the show. And it wouldn't have been if it wasn't for that episode. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that it, you know, I would have done it differently if I was ever directed, which I'll, I would never be. But, like, I don't know. I, I just don't, I don't, under, I don't understand the point of making a show like this and this like three uh you know narrative structure structure i don't even know is there a term for that is there a term for this like split narrative yeah like dual yeah try narrative like that yeah Yeah. you know it's it's kind of funny because i was trying to think of like how to add on to that and my mind goes to i think the obvious thing which is like why didn't you just do this like very literally why can't like the first three episodes, three hours, be part one, the next three be part two, the next three be part three? Like, it's not that big of a commitment. You're already making that much TV. Like, why can't you just make it linearly? And I got to thinking, like, I mean, there are, there are actually plenty of stories that take like big family dramas and do them like that to success. We started this conversation by talking about the offer, which is about the making of the Godfather, which is a family epic that does not run linearly that has like intercutting narratives. But I was just like in my mind. So my mind was like went to that. And then I was like, should this have just been a fucking movie? Should this have been a three hour movie where, you know, Sunja starts as a teenager meets Kohansu she gets pregnant. Like we move fairly quickly. It's probably a three hour movie. It's probably like up for Oscars. It's so funny. Like where, where we've come on this podcast, which is like when we did Watchmen, whatever, like one of our lost episodes, maybe now, uh, or it's like, man, this really should have been a TV show. And then they made a TV show and now we're doing Pachinko, a TV show. And I'm like, fuck, maybe this really should have just been a movie because you think about like, it's 500 pages, but is there that much story? Because we allied over World War II, so that's a big... I mean, you can't drop a fucking bomb and not talk about it. She, the author, kind of does that. She doesn't drop the bomb. You know, Yosef gets burned from Nagas- the radiation in Nagasaki, but that's not a thing. So I guess we're fine with just alighting it and moving moving on. There's no reason this couldn't be fast. 
There's no reason I couldn't be I fast. Had, I had not thought about this until you said it, and I could not agree more. Like, this should absolutely have been a movie. There's also, like, lots of fat that they could trim. There's so many tertiary characters that, like, are, I won't say they won't matter, but, like, you could certainly get rid of in this, in a movie version of this, like, a two to three hour movie version. And, yeah, you could have, you, you wouldn't even need a war scene. You would just need Kohansu to go to Sunja and say, hey, listen, you need to get the fuck out of Dodge because I know things and the Americans are better to drop bombs on uh, Japan. And then you can get, you can get, like, a scene later with Yosip all fucked up. Right from from the from the bombing, I mean, yeah, I think like I could not agree with you more. Like it, it almost you know, and then you could tell it in one linear narrative, which would just it would just make me so happy. Yeah, I do wonder if like the 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 movie has just become the like limited TV show, and that's just the worlds we live in now. Yeah. Kind of things. It's funny, I don't really understand the critical acclaim behind it. And I think maybe I mean it's certainly like a great story. It's certainly, you know, well shot. It's certainly well directed, but like I don't know. Maybe if I watch it a couple more times I'd get it, but like I just like don't I just don't see the appeal of it. Like I would not recommend the show to like a like a casual like if if you're into prestige TV, like I would say watch it. Let me know what you think. But like, if you're a casual person that like watches, you're at lunch with your coworkers, Thirty Rock, they're or asking like you what you're watching, or Friends, or what's the other one? Big Bang Theory. Shout out. What are you I'm talking, talking about? about? <laughs> Our friend Corey. Yeah. But I would not recommend it to like, you know, it's not like. I don't know. I don't know. I think it started with a lot of promise because we I, I really liked it going into these final episodes and then I it's funny we're talking me out of my like final uh, my final verdict but <laughs> yeah at the end here I was slightly dismayed yeah it didn't it did so. not feel satisfying at the end we should actually talk about the differences which we haven't really discussed that much we've been talking about the narrative yeah. structure um do you want to talk about Ko- This is the finale, man. <laughs> Do you want to talk about uh, Koansu's backstory? Do we want to... I think we can yeah. kind of touch on it, but do you want to like discuss it more? Yeah. yeah. So, obviously, like you said, we touched on this a little bit. Um, episode 7 of the show just deep dives into his past, um, which basically is is wholly created for the TV show. Mm-hmm. But, you know, possibly the author had like a backstory in mind for him. Um, but everything that you see in Episode 7 is as far as I know, like not canon in the book. Um, his dad has a debt, goes to the Yakuza to help him pay it. Uh, Hansu is a tutor to some wealthy Americans. I think that's kind of like a nice little touch. Like the, the whole like through line of America being this place to go yeah. or, you know, to, as you know, America offers you a better life sort of in the book, like America is this land of opportunity in the TV show. It's sort of not, I think it's kind of interesting. Maybe that's just like the sign of the, the times. Yeah. Twenty twenty. People don't respect this country. <laughs> like they used to. Um, yeah. But his his dad is killed in the earthquake that occurs. Um, Kohansu ni- tries to survive. Nineteen twenty three. Right. Nineteen twenty three. It's called the 
uh, Tokyo Yokohama earthquake mm-hmm. of 1923. Um, yeah, basically, like, the Americans, I think, disappear or die. He eventually finds that Yakuza man that he mm. saw earlier who's with his family. And it, 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 it does not show, but it, it sort of, like, intimates that, you know, Hansu was without family, and now this, like, Yakuza man has become his family. And it sort of explains why he is what he is in the in the 30s timeline. And also, like you mentioned earlier in our conversation, it, it humanizes him a little mm-hmm. bit. And it gives him, crucially, his suffering. I feel like everybody in the TV show has their suffering. And his suffering is surviving this like terrible earthquake. Mm-hmm. And also, I would say... We've talked about like when we will talk more about like what could happen in season two. It certainly seems like the person that gets a bottle episode to themselves probably plays a larger role in the second season of this TV show. So I think despite him like being a limited part of episodes six, seven, and eight, uh, more to come from him in season two. Definitely. Um, Yeah, I think that's. Nothing really outside. So, yeah. Just to reiterate, like the, the, this part of the story of the TV show is not in the original story in the book at all. So, uh, quite a difference in that regards. Let's also talk about um, Bake Isaac's betrayal. Um, and it may not have huge implications, but it is a difference that uh, we want to discuss. So, Isaac was arrested in both the... the uh, TV show as well as the story, as the as the book, but for different reasons. So in the book, he is accused of um, taking a knee, or he's he's accused of praying when he should be basically uh, pledging allegiance to the emperor of Japan, um, and he's seen as doing this, and he's taken into custody, and he's basically that's sort of the the end of his story almost. Like he's in he's in jail for a long time, and eventually he gets out when. Uh, I think the the bomb drops or the war is is occurring and he eventually dies like almost soon after. And then in the in the TV show, he's actually accused of being like a revolutionary uh against Japan. So Sunja finds out um because Mozazu is it or is it Noah? Noah comes home and is like, Hey, I've been waiting for a whole hour to get picked up from you know, my dad, whatever. Uh, and they go, they find him, and, and he's basically accused of being uh, a revolutionary. And they meet real revolutionaries, and they were saying, like, yeah, he's a, you know, big proponent of, of our of our uh, endeavor here, which is quite surprising. I thought, I thought it's a big difference, and I don't know, you know, maybe you have thoughts on like the reasoning behind this like big jump and in, like involvement against the Japanese empire. I I do I so I think we've talked about this from like minute one of our trilogy on Pachinko, but religion has been like almost entirely written out of the TV show. And, you know, that's a stylistic choice. I don't think there's a lot to that. Just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to them, and which is fine. And I think in its place, um, they had to create something. And for this like revolutionary arc, I think it shows that Isaac is actively working to make, uh, his life and the life for his family better. Um, and I think we, you know, it's a generational story. And so this is a man who's like looking to put up, like, you know, raise his family up to the next level of like, you know, their life in Japan because their life in Japan sucks. He's his revolutionary, like 
uh, credo is basically like for workers' rights, I think, mm-hmm. and just bettering like pay and conditions. And he's almost like a union yeah. man. Um, but to read that is sort of the idea is like he is trying to make life for everybody in his orbit better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just talked a lot about how there's like aggressive intercutting. Um, I think this is meant to this like Isaac turn is meant to sort of like play with Solomon's wanting to Solomon's understanding like on Hannah's deathbed that he's basically wasted his time trying to assimilate to Japan. So here's Isaac like trying to help Koreans in Japan and here's Solomon 50 years later realizing like, fuck we, it didn't happen. Um, you know, both men obviously have decks stacked against them and both are fighting with their within their means to change things. But um, I don't know. I think contrasting, giving that to Isaac and then contrasting it immediately with Solomon's like failure to live in Japan and become Japanese is is at least somewhat telling. Even if Solomon's is more of like a revenge fantasy. Mm-hmm. His his like going into season two plot is more of a revenge yeah, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was certainly a. It didn't do a lot. It didn't do a lot for me. Like this difference was certainly like interesting, but I didn't. I don't know. I didn't think it was narrative shifting or you know groundbreaking in the sense of like this show is totally different. But it does definitely like same place. You know. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives a lot more credence and almost like surprise to Isaac's character. Um. Because he is, like, he's very gentle. He's very soft-spoken in both the book and the show. And I think in the sh- seeing that in the show, where you're kind of, like, you're with Sonia. Like, I don't believe that he did this. Like, I just don't believe you, that he would be this revolutionary kind of person. He's just not that. He doesn't seem like that type. But um, he's too good-looking, he's, yeah. I think. He's got a great, like, long jaw structure. He's very tall, too, it seems. Yeah. At least on TV. Um, so let's talk about Solomon's American motivation. So his motivation to actually go to America to study or to live, basically. He, in the book, he, um, his father, Mozazu, is a wealthy pachinko parlor uh, owner and has the money to send him there. So he goes to school, I think at Columbia, was it? Um, in New York City. And I actually can't remember what the show's motivation was for him. In the show, he is in his, like, Hannah period, though it's non-sexual, and they are at the corner store, like, after school one day, and she encourages him to steal a candy bar. Crucially, the scene is in the book, and he's like, fuck you, I'm not stealing a candy bar. And in the show, he steals the candy bar. The owner of the shop, who's Japanese, they're in Japan, grabs him and is like, you're in big trouble, buster. Takes him down. Takes him downtown. Um, I, it's It's not, like, said, but I think it's somewhat clear that like Hansu gets him out of whatever punishment he's yeah. going to be in. Cause the cop gets a call and it's like, yeah, absolutely. And hangs up. So I'm, I feel like that's a Hansu. Yeah, well, he's, he mentions like you have friends in high places or something to that effect. So, yeah. Yeah. But so after, after that occurs, his dad is basically like, you're done. Like you're going to America. And I think the relevance of this change is, a couple of different things, like in addition to him basically getting like fresh princed out of Japan, um, 
I think it's notable that his father is not wealthy. Like in the book, his his dad is wealthy uh, as a pachinko owner. In the TV show, his dad is a pachinko owner, but not wealthy. So whether that's not like glamorizing betting or just allowing them to be a little more poor is maybe a little bit more of like a uphill climb to what Solomon's like potential could be as the like topper on this familial cake. Mm. I don't know. My metaphors are... Or grand today. Yeah, I like cake. So, um, I think I think it is inter- is interesting. Like I mentioned before, how in the in the book America is this like land of opportunity, and in the show, though Kohansu's dad really wants him to study in America before he dies in the earthquake, um, Mozazu is basically just like America is a punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think it's interesting that the differences in how America is, is portrayed as well. So, but for me, the big, the, the big importance is basically just like in the show, he's not wealthy and getting, removing that wealth allows Solomon to have something to aspire to. There's like a higher level when he, in the book turns back to Pachinko as his like career, when he fails out of his investment banking firm it's okay because the pachinko is making money here. The pachinko is not making money. So it sort of gets rid of that like safety net for him to fall back on. And there's more room for him to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is you, which did you like better? Well, I sort of talked my, my squeaky voice. <laughs> I've sort of talked myself into the book version of this where he, is trapped not i mean you know we litigated this already but where he's he continues the cycle of uh like being a korean in japan where it's just like this is the highest echelon i can reach Mm -hmm. this is my this is the highest mountain i can climb and i i you know it's it's sad and it's like it's a bummer but you know sad things can be good writing yeah and so I, i kind of like that yeah I kind of like that for him. Yeah, I don't really... I don't know if I fully buy, like, the America... I mean, the America is punishment for for that specific situation for Solomon. I get... I don't get... It's a little rash. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, fully buy it as a, uh, like, a pretense to the entire show. Because um, I do think they still look at America as, like, a land of opportunity and all that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just found it... I, he could he could also Solomon could have gone back to America to work at a New York you know bank whatever, um, so but yeah, um, so his motivation to go to America or, or you know his American association is different, TV and book uh, and then his finale. Yeah, so you you mentioned this and we'll try to break it down because it's it's a little bit different, um, but I think it is notable. In the book, Travis Brothers, which is the investment bank, are looking to build a golf course. Um, and there's a little old Korean lady landowner who's holding up the deal. She won't sell. Uh, at least she won't sell to a Japanese. She will sell to a Korean. So Solomon enlists the help of his dad's partner, Goro, to do it. They sign the papers. It's all above board, like as far as we know. Um, but a week after the papers are signed, the old lady dies. And so the bankers at Travis Brothers and the client they're hoping to like broker the transaction with get um, cold feet. 
back out. Solomon is fired. Um, America, like you said, will is an option, but he convinces his dad to let him work in the pachinko. Mm -hmm. So it is the sort of like the cycle continues. I know I've said that a bunch of times. So if you're drinking, you can drink. It's your drinking cue. <laughs> we should have done that as a, as a rule for this, for this episode, but yeah. Have you seen, um, I, my God, my voice. <laughs> have you seen Watch What Happens Live with hosted by Andy Cohen? No. What is this? Probably not. It's on Bravo. It's like a, it's a late night show where he talks to, um, like Bravo, Bravo liberties. Oh my God. Wow. You are totally go. in the, <laughs> but, but at the start of every episode, he has this like drinking word of the day. So mm. it's whatever he knows his guests. He doesn't know yet what they're going to like say to his questions, but he has a good idea what they're going to talk about. So he's like, whenever and they the, say the word of the day is like, you know, pachinko. Every time you hear the word pachinko, you have That's to drink. Fine. And at the end of his show, he'll end by saying like, we said pachinko like 47 times. So I hope you're, <laughs> I hope you're alive. Super inebriated. So that's, I do there's like a little lens idea. I do like that. Um, yeah, Solomon, um, I mean, his story is not finished in the store, in the TV show, excuse me. Um, it sounds like he's going to team up with this, you know, other business type guy who has also been um, sort of castigated or tossed aside or exiled from the business community in, in Japan. Um, and probably opened Pachinko Progress, like you said. But, um, yeah, like you said, it sort of comes full circle, which which I like. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, so so in the in the TV show, just to, just to underline it, there's still the, like, little old Korean landlady. He, as we mentioned before, convinces her not to sell. Yes. He gets fired for doing so, but then, like, hooks back up with this uh Japanese businessman who, you know, knowing that he is knows the pachinko business, wants to open pachinkos in international locations. His dad says, Don't 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 do that with that guy. I dealt with his grandfather. It's the same tainted blood, which, you know, ring ding ding, you're like tainted blood mm. uh thematic bingo board here in Pachinko. Um Drink. but Solomon gets this idea that, you know what, if we could actually uh, intimidate the Korean lady to sell, we would control the most important asset in this development, which is not a golf course. I think they're building a hotel yeah. instead of a yeah. golf course. We can control the most important asset and we can make Travis Brothers, I think I think, I think they have a different name in the mm -hmm. show, like bleed to get it. And in a very confusing turn, they had this like whole conversation about the incoming recession or an incoming recession, which was like, you yeah. know, we need motherfucking NBA Charlie on here to explain to us how uh, the you know real estate prices were getting depressed. Yeah. But the basic idea was that they would get this house, they would make Travis Brothers pay out the ass for it, and immediately afterwards, land prices would collapse. Yeah. So that bank would be fucked. Yeah. yeah so, so it's it's more of a revenge play. It is. It is much more more of a revenge play. Um, yeah. It was funny when I was watching that. I was like, oh my god, this is. Uh, reminded me of like the big short where like he's like yeah this uh, recession's coming and all these uh, buildings what do you think these you know they're going to be worth they're going to be you know basically half the price of what they're worth um, what they are now and they're going to have to take loans out on themselves or use their own buildings as collateral kind of thing like um, yeah sort of an insight into the recoming or incoming recession but um, yeah it's funny how they, they changed the 
motivation for his finale is like revenge versus like I guess cl- acceptance. acceptance or like clarity or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I actually I actually buy I think... the TV show one more than I buy the book version because I don't think like like okay the lady died like there's no way they would have orchestrated that like how could they anticipate her dying you know a few days after the deal how you know what i mean like how how can they pin this on solomon i don't know it just smells baby it just smells <laughs> they accuse of smell that's true it's everywhere but think of like how much money is involved in that transaction and like we talked about last episode and you helpfully put in a little uh inflation disclaimer because oh, of my zero stuff yeah where she basically got offered like nine million dollars to sell if you're like willing to spend nine million dollars to get that lady to sell like you're gonna build i guess this is the book versus the tv show but it's like that's a lot of money to just like back out yeah i mean you're not gonna just eat that cost and you're already in for so much because you've you've bought the entire block or square or whatever it is you're gonna build baby Build, baby, build. Plus, you have the fucking land, you know? Yeah. Who cares if it smells? You just, like, throw it under the rug like any other yeah. You just good, pay like, off the police, you know, right? Did you, re- did you read Art of the Deal? I think that would <laughs> it would tell you in there. No, but I bet Scott did. I bet Scott won. Well, I think it's probably the right time frame, right? Yeah, like, uh, probably. Late yeah, 80s, yeah. mid-80s. He went to Columbia. He probably, he might have run into him in his, like, They're real estate classes. They're probably in the fucking class together. Could you imagine a Trump, a Trump character in season two? <laughs> it's not inconceivable i mean there's so much trump stuff yeah these days it probably won't but like that'd be, i think that would be hysterical um um go ahead my thinking is that just like this this plot is more for a like spool up to season two like we mm. we need solomon he is he's a one he is modern yeah we need him to come back and have stuff to do so yeah. now we're going like extra book for solomon and the way to do it is to keep this plot alive yeah i was gonna ask like where like who are gonna be the prominent characters in season two probably solomon sunya will begin to take a back seat she'll be around but she will basically be mothering mazazu and noah noah will, will probably take a much more prominent role um and that is that it? i mean kohansu obviously will take a more prominent role i think Although in the book it would suggest otherwise, um, but I think he's too good looking to not have him be friends front well, and center. All the I time. mean, look, I mean, we still have World War Two to get to, yeah, and true. that is basically like them living on a farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have the aftermath of Isaac's like prison, uh, which might be something. We still have Solomon, I guess, like doing his little recession proof deals i mean you know it's i can't imagine season two intercutting like this because there's i mean whatever happens with solomon is all outside of the book and so you're creating whatever happens in 19 1990 and beyond Mm -hmm. you're creating it all so i suppose you could do that and continue to intercut it but i mean what's the What's the point? For an, an, what's another season of doing the exact same like parallel structure? It's just how how 
how deep do you need to drive the nail in to like make your point about like the connections between generations? This is like sort of the thing where it's like one of the reasons a movie makes more sense about this is because like there is a thing to say and there is one thing to say. The story is not that long and there's a thing to say, which is that like, you know, suffering repeats across the, the generations and, and, um, I don't know. That's it. I mean, yeah. You hold that weight, the weight of the shame. Yeah. But like season two, this now we're talking like 16 hours of the same idea. Well, there's supposedly just, four seasons sketched out from the showrunner, Sue Hugh, right? So there's the second, so we should be clear, the second season was greenlit. I think like maybe towards the end of the first season when it was airing. Um, I think it's when we aired our when we yeah. recorded our last episode. Yeah, and I think that was right before the like the finale, um, and then there's we you read an article I believe that said that she was that she had three and four like plotted out. So I you know who knows? It's in her mind. It's on those pages. Not really sure. I want to ask you quickly uh, how did how did you think the show ended? Did you like it? Uh, and then. Just get into the next question. Will you be watching season two? So I'll say one of the things that, and I think I maybe mentioned this earlier, but one of the things that disappointed me about the show was like how little ending there actually was. And maybe that's my fault for expecting an ending when, you know, there's multiple hours left, but like Hannah dies, right? And that's like the big ending of things in season one she dies in episode eight from aids as we've covered um isaac goes to prison which is a kind of a cliffhanger otherwise like solomon is ready for season two sunya doesn't go to the graveyard to like bury noah because we don't really even know noah um we have the like connection of the pocket watch where like sunja early on in her life um, pawned it to get the money to repay Yosef or repay Yosef's like debtors for her fare here. Kohansu gets it back and gives it to Noah in episode eight. And then at the end of episode eight, earlier or, or maybe even earlier in episode eight, Sunja gives it to Solomon and says like this watch like kept our family whole basically mm-hmm. over, over, over time. Yeah. It just didn't feel like there was enough of an ending in season one. And it just felt like everything was, setting up for season two and it's i feel like now as a you know a watcher of marvel movies it's kind of tiring to just have like the through station stories Mm -hmm. where you know you watch a two and a half hour movie and it's a setup for the next marvel movie and you're just like okay but like why can't we just have like stories that end and people learn things and there's relevance. So even like the Sunja story, the the especially like old Sunja, like is her story done? Like I would argue that it's not. But how long can you have her go? She's 86, 89. Eventually you have to phase out the younger character or the character playing the younger version of her. Like she eventually has to stop being a part of it because she will become the older version who's already there. But that's where all the story is. For her, yeah. Yeah, unless you want to show her grieving, sitting at a coffee table and just like, you know, 
thinking back on her life and all the mistakes that she made and And that's how the book ends. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I, I do feel like a little, like I've been cheated out of something where I didn't really get the, I didn't really get an end. What I got is like a teaser for more. I would argue that it's not a very good teaser. Like it's, it, I feel like it didn't set it up that well. It's not like, oh, I need, I need to watch the second season. At least that's how I feel. But I I thought it was, as the series gone on, like I mentioned before, I thought it got worse and worse. And that's probably mostly because of my opinions on the narrative structure. Um, and I just was not interested in that. But also, um, I probably won't watch season two. Unless there's, unless I see a really dope trailer. Like, a dope trailer will give me any day of the week. Like, let's just be honest. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not really interested in it. I, I read the book. I, I like the book. Uh, I'm good. I'm good with like where I'm at with Pachinko. I think I've accepted, you know, my my plot in life in relation to the story, and I, I don't need to go any higher or further. So that's sad. <laughs> no, no, I'm suffering for for that. I yeah, I do wonder just quickly that like. Maybe if there was more Noah buildup, there might be more interest in season two. It's sort of insinuated at the end of the season that like, oh, I had a son once and I kind of fucked him up. And it's like, I don't think that's strong enough to hold somebody who doesn't know the story of 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 Noah in, in Pachinko. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. but But at the same time, you know, they showed us that earthquake. So now I'm thinking like, is Nagasaki like? Is that on the table? Is like, do we get a nuclear bomb in season two? That would be worth watching. I think that would be interesting. Yeah. I think that would be interesting. I mean, we, yeah, we haven't got into the war at all uh, in the TV show, so. I think I think there's there's parts in any story, especially this story, to like, you know, put the car in neutral, put it in park, whatever, slow mm-hmm. it down. Where like when Isaac goes to prison, the narrative like downshifts mm-hmm. like pretty significantly, and you could spend time there. When they go to the farm during World War Two, I mean, you could have you could set a whole fucking season at that farm yeah. probably. Oh yeah. Um. So I guess it's just like if you're sketching out four seasons. I forgot about the. Farm. I imagine. God damn, forgot. Yeah, yeah. I imagine you're you are downshifting in a big way in some parts of this mm-hmm. world, and where do you choose to do it? How do you choose to do it? Yeah. Do you continue to do the like multiple narratives intercutting structure? I don't know. It's it, like, as we've said, the entire fucking trilogy of this, it just burns up so much story so fast. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, I don't like four seasons out of this book is ludicrous to me. I'm also not like a professional screenwriter. I don't get paid to do that. Maybe if I got paid, I would like to have four seasons of a show, yeah, maybe. you know, just <laughs> for my wallet. Um, it just it just seems like it just seemed like you could have done this linearly and had it be almost even better because it would have been more clear and you would have had more time with all these characters who have their own stuff to to do. So Eric, I think we've come to the question that everybody listening wants to know. Have I convinced you 
on your thoughts on the book or the show? Have I changed your answer? Have you changed yes. your <laughs> I, I've changed my answer. I came into this conversation picking the show, and I have now team book. Blessed. I think that's the right decision. I like the book. I gave the book four stars. Did you? So TV show, I guess, is like 3.5 yeah. or 3. I might even give it two and a half or two. I don't know. Oh, my I God. I was very disappointed. No, I definitely uh, love the book. The book's great. Would definitely recommend the book to anybody uh, interested in reading it. Um, would not necessarily recommend the show to anybody interested in watching it, but... Watch it get all the Emmys, and then it's just like... <laughs> Apparently we were wrong. <laughs> well, you know, it's all political, yeah. you know, it's... You have to take out ads. Right. You take out ads. <laughs> yeah. We'll resurface these episodes when it gets its Emmys. Yeah, oh my God. Could you imagine? Wins everything. Um, well, cool. I think we... Um, remember before the episode, we were talking about how we wanted to do this under an hour. <laughs> Definitely didn't happen. But that's how we do it here at Little Lens. We are, we are... I think we're always over an hour. I would like to, like, confirm this, but I'm pretty sure we're always over. Anyways... I think it's usually it's usually my fault. I started this conversation talking about uh, another TV show that you didn't yeah, watch, the and then we it. talked about the Real Housewives of Dubai. It's the whole thing. The last time, uh, I can't see it on this one, but um, yeah, we're always over an hour. That's just how we roll. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. But um, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, um, we are wrapping up Pachinko. Um, as our third episode, as our trilogy here, um, on the book and TV show. Um, and we don't have anything lined up yet. Uh, we are still in discussions with, you know, publishers and, and everybody, uh, agents on, you know, what we're allowed to do, what we're allowed to talk about, what we're allowed to read or write, obviously, like we're pretty big time. So we, we can't just do anything. Um, so if you have any recommendations, uh, we don't care. So we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. Uh, no, outlet to lens <laughs> on all the socials. We don't you do give, have recommendations. We don't give a fuck. No, I'm just kidding. They will. They are. Uh, they are always received. They are always. They are definitely always received. Whether they are read or not is another question. What you yeah. should do. I read our What mentions. you should do is uh, find Eric on Letterboxd and talk shit about his opinions on movies, and that way we will definitely read them. I don't think that the prequels are good. And I, I think that's a, that's a to fair To give the audience context, there was uh, some guy who was upset uh, about Eric's opinion on the first three, the original, or not the original, the one, episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars. And he's, and what did you say? Something like, I, I can't believe Hayden Christensen played in this or something. Yeah. Episode two, I, uh, I gave it like one and a half stars and I, I don't want to, like, look it up because I'm afraid. But I basically said something like Hayden Christensen is just, like, he's possibly the worst actor who ever existed. And then the person replied, uh, you know, I don't have that many followers, but he replied and said, oh, his Golden Globe nomination would beg to differ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I had to look up to see that, it indeed, he did get a Golden Globe nomination in, like, 2003 or to for a movie where he played like basically a uh, uh, what's it called now free form like a free form like teenager in distress yeah 
Well, it's funny. I mean, you should have hit back like and said, oh, how are the Golden Globes doing nowadays? Didn't they not even have one this year? <laughs> so just so everybody's aware, Eric's phone died. So we can no longer get his audio. They can't hear you. They can't hear you. <laughs> but um, but that's it. Um, thank you, Eric, for chiming in and helping out today. Uh, we'll get you on the next one. <laughs> I'm sure it did. I'm, it must have. Um, anyways, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we have not decided what we're going to do next, but uh, once we decide, we'll let you know. If you have any recommendations, hit us up at Lit to Lens, uh, Instagram, Twitter, email, uh, littolens at gmail.com. Um, you know, whatever you want, whatever you're thinking. Thanks. Bye.